Hey guys, welcome to Roam and Go Lightly, a podcast for creative adventures. Hey guys, happy Monday and welcome to the podcast. I'm Laura. If you don't know who I am, I am the creator of Roam and Go Lightly, um, the thing that you are listening to right now, but also uh, a blog at www.romangolightly.com and we're basically all about inspiring you to lead this adventurous and creative lifestyle that you crave whether you're working nine to five or if you're full-time going for it. Um, We believe that adventure is a perspective and it can happen every day no matter where we're located. We, We believe in local adventures and grand ones too but we also really strongly believe that no matter where you are in the world it's ours to experience in any hour of the day. We also believe that inspiration should be happening every moment of our lives, meaning we need to find these little moments of creativity. We need to invest in our own inspiration at our desks, um, in our notebooks, and we're all artists, basically. We, We believe that we are all artists and we should really, really, really invest in our own creative experience. Each week, I'm going to be sitting down with some of the coolest artists, makers, doers, and explorers that inspire me in the hopes to extract ideas and inspiration for all of us out here listening. Um, And if that sounds inspiring to you, make sure to leave uh, a review and subscribe. Um, We're really inspired about getting you inspired, and we want others to find us in this really, really huge, vast space of the internet. Um, So by leaving a review, you're helping us do that. It makes us more searchable for other people, and it makes us sort of have a higher ranking on iTunes, which means that more people like yourself who want to be creatively inspired and feeling adventurous can find us. So yeah, lock it down. It would mean a lot to us. Where to even begin with the incredible impact today's guest has made on the world? Seriously, one of the most amazing resumes I think I could ever read across for you guys. I'm really, really stoked. Um, As an international human rights lawyer, a social entrepreneur, mindfulness, innovation, and creativity educator, author, TEDx speaker, and founder and CEO of an ethically driven shop, amongst many other things that she does, it's easy to say that our guest today, Flynn Coleman, is hell-bent on inspiring and empowering the world with her incredible voice and mind. She's traveled the world, she's worked with the UN, many international corporations and human rights organizations, Um, And today, she's chatting with us. I'm so honored that she is here. So, well, welcome, Flynn. (laughs) Um, So, I am so grateful that you're on the show, but um, could you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And um, so, my name is Flynn Coleman, and I'm an international human rights lawyer, and I'm also an educator, a teacher, a mindfulness and creativity teacher, an author. Um, I've given TEDx talks before. I'm also a social entrepreneur and social innovator. And then I'm also a founder and CEO and an executive director of a human rights organization. And I love what you're doing. And I'm really excited to chat to chat adventure and creativity with you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Flynn. I feel like your your credentials are so impressive. And so there's so many things we could talk about with what you do. Um, but I guess I want to start with where your interest in human rights came from. So if you wouldn't mind telling us what is your experience with adventuring around the world and how has it impacted your perspective on human rights? 
Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And I'm always kind of thinking about, you know, my life story in terms of my core beliefs and core values. So as you mentioned, kind of my core lifelong passion is to be a human rights advocate. And I am an international rights lawyer. And Essentially, for me, I um, I also was a former competitive. I'm a former competitive athlete, so I've traveled and played sports since I was young, and I, as you said, kind of gone on these worldwide adventures. And essentially, you know, I've developed this core belief that everyone has a voice that matters, and everyone has a story to tell. And in terms of pinpointing exactly when I decided that I would kind of create, you know, a life's work out of human rights and social justice, I. I traveled since I was young, and my first experience living abroad and playing sports was in Italy. And um, I wrote about this this story as well. But essentially, um, I lived in the middle of a cornfield with this incredible family and had these incredible adventures learning, understanding about who they were, who I wanted to be. And essentially, you know, through my travels, through conversations with people around the world, I developed this sense that we're all so very much the same underneath. So there's this balance of celebrating our diversity, but also realizing that our humanity is so very much the same. And so for me, advocating for everyone's right to have their own voice and to tell their own story in their own way became very important to me. And this idea of investing people so they can invest in themselves how they so choose, not how anyone else chooses, kind of formed my life's work. So I studied um, human rights, international law. I went I went to Georgetown University School of Foreign Service and was very inspired by the incredible professors and experiences I had there. I had some professors where I really started getting involved in working on issues of genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes. And then when I studied abroad in college, I studied with a member of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Chile and learned a lot about the era of disappearances there because I was writing for my thesis, which was on truth commissions, war crimes, the era of disappearances, and essentially how societies and individuals move forward from the most horrible things that can happen. And from that has sprung kind of my life's work in that field. (laughs) Awesome. I'm I it's such heavy stuff. I mean, you're talking about war crimes, you're talking about, you know, all of these really really deeply rooted they seem like evil things. How do you stay so positive about um your outlook on the world? Gosh, that's such a great question and obviously a difficult and complex one. Um I I stay positive because we always have to find a way to look towards the light, look towards solutions. And for me, (laughs) and not to get too off tangent with my passion for um, books, which includes things like Harry Potter, is that, you know, the idea is that we all have light and dark inside of us, as Dumbledore would say, you know, so really, the only question is, what path are we going to choose? So essentially, that's how I see the world is it's not, you know, some people are good, some people are evil. There is dark and light everywhere, and there's really always going to be. That's the polarization that is being a human being. So for me, you know, these are these are huge, huge dark issues that might never be solved. Um, and part part of me stays up at night thinking about that, but the other part of me realizes that it's it's the keeping going and the willingness to try because there are these huge issues and the world's toughest problems to solve. And that is my life's work. How do we solve the world's toughest problems? But at the same time, day to day, we can help one person at a time. And that can be a a big moment or a small moment or a big thing or a small thing. But I think ultimately there are no big things and there are no, there are no small things. So Ann Dillard says, you know, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. 
So we might never solve and tackle and finish, you know, solving these huge problems, but everyone can make a small difference every day. Beautiful. (laughs) Sound advice from Dumbledore. (laughs) Always sound advice. Harry Potter comes up from pretty much everything I do, so. (laughs) I love it. I am also a big Harry Potter nerd, so you're preaching to the right people now. There we go. (laughs) So I think that um, that kind of ties into what we just said, this idea of there's no big or small way to make a difference. There's no right or wrong way to do anything other than like, you know, for me, that is just to take one step after the other. So what's the next thing that I can do? Where is there a person where I can help, whether that's my grandma bringing her dinner or whether that's a, being, a, you know, uh, a foster caretaker for animals, whether it's something big or small, it's just constantly taking that next step. And I think that is that when I, you know, I consult on things like social good, social impact, design for social impact, how do we travel um, and also have social impact? And I think that the point is that we can infuse those principles into anything that we do. And I think that's when I teach changing the world, that's something that comes up a lot, which is that not all of us can just quit our jobs and our lives and be Mother Teresa. So I think that what's exciting about our modern world is there's so many different ways that we can get involved and make a difference in our own way and ways that really speak to us and that we're excited about. So I think that there's always a way to infuse good and social good in everything we're doing, just one step at a time. And so you have mentioned about how we can have social impact on traveling. So what, what's your advice? How can we travel well while we're overseas, while we're exploring, maybe even if we're on vacation? How do we travel well? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I know you also are passionate about um, this idea of adventure, which we were just chatting about. And I recently gave a talk on travel for good. And I think that this is something that people are really eager to kind of have a discussion about. Because again, in our modern world, there are a lot more ways that we can have an impact. And that's, of course, you know, goes to both the positive and the negative side of things. So I think, you know, back in the day, a lot of it was just, you know, you either did unpaid volunteer work or you went on vacation and there was nothing in between. And I, since I have little, have kind of always been researching these fun adventures that also involve social impact. So the answers and the groups and the organizations are out there. It's just a matter of finding them. I think that one of the things to be careful of is this idea of voyeurism or, you know, in our, in our modern world of social media. And I, you know, we could have a whole conversation just about, you know, social media. I... I teach technology. I love it. I also teach mindfulness. So again, social media can be a negative or a positive. But for me, anything to do with technology, it's here to stay. So my only question is always, how do we leverage it for good, right? You can call it bad, you can call it good, but it's here. How do we leverage it for good? So I think it's important when we're talking about impact and travel for good is to really get at the heart of what that means. And my human rights work has kind of showed me a similar path, which is that ultimately change needs to happen at a local level. So it's very important to kind of be wary of things that appear to be doing good or show on social media that something's good, but how are they really impacting the communities, the individuals, the animals, the wildlife, so that there are really fun ways that we can blend adventure, even luxury adventure with traveling well, but it's all about how are we positively impacting the actual communities as opposed to something that's really just for profit or for voyeurism. And I think that that's become something that is a problem, but in our modern world, we have information and we have ways to figure out what's really helping. Um, And I also think that there's still a lot to be done in this travel for a good space. So I think it's an exciting thing to think about, but it's really all about positive impact on actual communities as opposed to just saying we're doing that, basically. Yeah, I think that's, there is a fine line between um, 
yeah, the idea of like, oh, I'm helping out in a grander scheme, but if, if we're not aware, if we're not conscious of what's going on at a local level, mm-hmm. we really don't know what our impact is or what we could actually be doing and using our time and using our resources wisely. Um, so I, yeah, that's something I never even have thought about before. Um, so do you have any tips for how we can, we can be more conscious, more conscious of those needs when we're traveling to other countries? Do you have any resources or anything like that? Yeah, I think that, again, it's such an important, great question. And I think that, you know, again, moving away from this thinking that it either has to be vacation or unpaid volunteer, there's so many different ways that we can micro-volunteer. I think, like anything, a lot of it involves um, the research and the really listening to what the actual needs on, on the ground are. So just kind of as a general rule, you know, hooking up with organizations that we know are valid and where the money and resources are going to the right place. So there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Again, there are local organizations that are focused on good. And so connecting with them, connecting with people that you trust, um, whether that's, you know, people you know in the online space or friends of friends and finding out who are these organizations that we know are funneling the resources to the right place and then asking for their suggestions and ideas. I mean, I, for example, wanted to focus on working um, with animals and I found the only primate rescue sanctuary in Europe and it's in Spain. So I was able to go to Spain, this incredible place that I'm very passionate about and also spend time volunteering on the ground with this incredible team uh, that works with rescue chimpanzees um, and macaques, so rescue primates and does incredible work. And I was able to spend time with them, learn about their work. And that was the research that I found them. So these opportunities are out there. And again, I think there's still room for more kind of uh, curation of what the best organizations are, but the information is out there. That's an, that's an interesting idea. Like if, if there were to be one central hub of like, I'm going to here, connect me with a good local organization. What are the needs specifically to this area? I would love to see if maybe, I mean, you, you're all about technology. I would, I would love to see this coming about sometime soon. Because as someone who travels, like yourself, I mean, I, I have the time and I'm, I'm in a foreign con- country and sometimes I am ignorant to what um, my impact is while I'm there. Um, so I would, I would love to know, like, how, how can we find these resources? Is it, is it a Google search? Is it, um, is it talking through word of mouth with locals? Is it shopping locally? What are some like little tiny like tricks you would send someone who wants to? Yeah. yeah and so, and there are organizations and groups out there that are really trying to kind of, you know, positively impact this space. Um, and I think, again, the key goes to this idea of local resources. For example, after Hurricane Katrina, I really wanted to focus on a rebuilding project in New Orleans. And I ended up hooking up with this group called Hands on New Orleans. And they have a very interesting model um, in that they hook you up with local people that need help. So I ended up hooking up with this local family and this local man named Clarence. And I asked him what he needed. And me and my friends went and worked with him for the weekend that we were there. You know, and he was someone who was individually impacted with his family. And it's not, you know, we were there for only a few days, but we were able to help when we could. So yes, research, Google searches, there are, you know, groups out there that are starting to discuss more about this um, impact space. I recently gave a talk called Travel for Good, where I worked with a lot of travel professionals and spoke with them about these ideas. So connecting, I think, with local experts in the space is really, really important. And yeah, technology is bringing us together um, in a lot of different ways. You know, on Facebook and on Twitter, you know, when a disaster happens or something happens, people are able to come together to help. So there really are incredible groups out there that have obviously very differing levels of platforms available to them, but the information is there. 
So I want to go into your little uh, little adventure. It's no not little <laughs> by any means. So Milena um, is your uh, social impact that you are doing with local artisans. Could you just tell us like a brief description about what Milena is and how did it come about? Yeah. So Milena, um, as you said, is a social enterprise. So a company that supports social impact and it actually came about. So the name Milena actually is the indigenous Chilean Mapuche word for girl. And so, as I mentioned before, I spent time in Chile And when I was there, I happened upon a group of women who had come together after the Arab disappearances in Chile to come together as a community to heal and also to learn business and financial skills. And the other thing they did was they created these arpilletas, which are tapestries that depicted the era of the dictatorship. And I saw the power of this group of women, this cooperative of women coming together um, to heal, but also to learn skills and to find a way forward. So What's, what really kind of was very impactful in my life about that is that, again, I, I do things like work on policies to change, you know, constitutions and international laws so we can protect human rights. But after a huge, you know, um, era of atrocity or war crimes or the worst thing that can happen to a society, oftentimes institutions need to be rebuilt. And in the meantime, informal institutions come together to help rebuild a society because everyone heals differently. So I saw the power of this woman, these women coming together and I helped create an international market for their goods, which essentially meant I brought a bunch of them back pre-social media, pre-internet to my university, put out a stand, and sold these suckers. And people were so inspired by the story on my little neon paper brochures. They were so inspired by the incredible work of these artisans. So that was many years ago. And then circle back many years later, and I decided to start Milena as this way to tell the stories and be kind of, you know, a platform for the voices of the people and communities behind the goods. So that's how we got started. Um, it was inspired by Chile and a lot of others that I connected with on the ground all over the world. So we work with many countries around the world. And essentially, we tell the stories of the people, the voices, the communities behind the goods, but also that the idea that aid is life-saving. You know, so things like humanitarian aid are absolutely critical and life-saving in times of crisis, famine, and war. But... After that, when a society is rebuilding, the idea is that everyone wants the same things. They want health, they want the ability to work, they want to send their kids to school, and they want a better future. So the whole point is to empower people to invest in themselves, as opposed to telling people what they want. So this is a way to kind of leverage this idea of cultural heritage, which ends up dying out when people feel like they have to leave those trades, you know, to get jobs, to make ends meet. This is a way to leverage that to tell the story stories of people behind the goods, but also allow people to make their own choices about what they do with their income. And so that's a little bit about how kind of Milena was created and and what the idea is behind it. It's so awesome to me that it was such a grassroots beginning. I love, I I have this, I have this image of you like on campus (laughs) with your goods, just like selling it to the people. Um, I love it. And now you have such a beautiful website and you have such gorgeous pieces. And um, so do you have a favorite piece? I'm curious because you have great taste. Oh, gosh. I mean, and, and also just to be clear, I, I know I mentioned this, but there's a huge gap. So when I was in Chile, there were no plans to start Milena. That was kind of a circling back after, you know, many other iterations of working at war crimes tribunal, tribunals for the U.S. government. You know, that was like way later. And 
You know, I get asked that question and it's so impossible to choose because when I go to Rwanda or Ethiopia or Guatemala and meet with these people and see, you know, what has gone into each textile and to each good, it's really impossible to choose. I would say, gosh, I mean, I, um, I love the scars and the textiles we've created in Ethiopia. Part of that is because I designed that line. Um, in conjunction with the cooperative there. And there's a whole video you can actually see about how the scarves are made. So I'm very passionate about that. I also am kind of a collector of textile and scarves around the world. So very passionate about those. I also love the weekender bags that we designed um, with this incredible women's organization in Guatemala. They're these incredible, gorgeous weekenders, and I think they're fabulous, so useful. And um, again, that's a kind of special design we made. So I'm passionate about everything because it all has a story, but those are some goods that I love. Awesome. Do you do you have a story about one of the makers that you'd like to share with us? Is there any like artisans that have stuck in your memory or something like that? I mean, everyone has, you know, a place in my heart. And for me, I learned so much, you know, it's so much less about going, you know, again, it's so much less about going somewhere and helping people. And it's so much more about listening and learning and just being inspired by the incredible creativity, inspiration, power and strength that I see with people I talk to all around the world. I mean, my great joy is to have conversations with people and learn about their lives and how we can, you know, make a small difference in making them better. And there's so many incredible stories. Um, uh, on the top of my head, I mean, there's this incredible family that we work with in Rwanda, and I would get notes from the family. And I had one that she was kind of, she had gone into the head office and seen, you know, her picture on the webpage, and she was so excited. And she wrote this note about how the earnings from the work that we did together allowed her to uh, bring electricity to her home and to build uh, furniture. And I had been in her home and met with her family. So just to think about, you know, that and how it's on such an individual level, the power of that, it just took my breath away, and I just, you know, tears are coming down my face. Um, when I was in Guatemala, we worked with some incredible people, and there was um, a young man who worked with us, and he is part of a group that essentially trains young indigenous youth to do things like blogging, anything to do with media, so photography, videography, and filmmaking, and the whole concept is to train indigenous youth to use these platforms so they can tell their own stories in their own way. Because so often communities, indigenous groups, you know, women and children, people tell their story for them, right? And so the whole idea is so that people can tell their own story in their own way. And we worked with him and it was really just inspiring to see him interact with the other kids, but also just to hear about what he's doing to kind of tell his own story was really, really inspiring. <laughs> I feel like you have to have such a great sense of, I don't even know what the word is. You, you, you must have this great, like whole, whole, like feeling of just that you're doing some awesome things for this world. So before we even go on, I just, I really feel like talking to you. I am feeling inspired to do more good in my local area. And I think like what you said is true when, when we go to the global perspective, um, oftentimes the indigenous people are, their stories being told through other lenses, through our lenses, through the, you know, the upper middle class, uh, people who are visiting their countries. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in the fact that you are bringing these stories to life. That must feel so, so good. Um, so I just, I want to thank you before we even do anything. I'm just, I'm just feeling very inspired right now. So thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. And just like you said, you know, there are, 
so many ways to be involved in whether that's on the global level or like you said, on the local level, right? You know, right next door. I mean, we work with an incredible organization that supports homeless women um, in downtown Los Angeles and, you know, in the city where I grew up. And so there are so many opportunities to be inspired by the incredible resilience and courage of people, whether that's near or far. Absolutely. And I think like thinking locally is one small way anyone can really make an impact on the world at large, right? Um, you know, supporting small businesses instead of going to corporations, if you have the option, um, going to mom and pop shops, little things like that when we have to make a decision in our day to day and thinking more locally and looking for those organizations in your own community. Um, I know, for example, my local area has a ton of missions around the area. Just see like what is available in the Lancaster. I live in a very small area, but the local area, there's so much going on if you just look for it. I think, and I think that's such a, such, such a beautifully said kind of, you know, way to describe anything in life. It's all there. The inspiration, as long as we're looking for it, it's always there. And it's interesting. I used to do a lot of work um, in New York, working with homeless men that have chemical abuse issues, teaching mindfulness and yoga. And like you said, it's all there. And just small things, like for example, there's a campaign going around right now called Socktober because socks are one of those things that people in the winter, homeless people in the winter need, but that aren't often donated. So there's these tiny things, there's these big things we can do. Um, and it's all right there. And for example, like you said, supporting local business, supporting things like slow and ethical fashion are great. But also if you happen to work for a big corporation, you can do things that are very, what's called entrepreneurial. And maybe you start a project um, within your corporation. You know, the benefit of that is there's a lot of funding and there's a lot of ways that those people can be involved. So if you work at a big organization, you can take the lead on, you know, telling your boss, like, hey, can we spend two hours, you know, once a month doing this? So there's always a way. I love that. And I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are working for corporations and they do work a nine to five desk job or um, they're working in the corporate space. And I think that's something that is so untapped. That's, you know, everyone has an opportunity if they're willing to look for it and if they're willing to actually seek it out. Right. Oh, yeah. And there's all types of benefits for doing that. You know, there can be, you know, there's famous programs that have happened in Google and 3M where people are spending some percentage of their time on passion projects. And, you know, everyone has like genius and brilliance also in different areas. So to say to your coworker or your boss, like, hey, I have an idea for this. You never know. You never know what that's going to turn into. So absolutely. I totally agree. Amazing. And I would really like to sort of segue into this whole idea of inspiration and creativity that you speak a lot about. <laughs> um, so I, I think that inspiration is really ephemeral. And I think that a lot of mm. working people um, – part of what Roman Golightly is is inspiring nine-to-five workers who – who desire to live a creative and adventurous life, but don't necessarily have the resources or the time, or maybe they're, they're fearful um, of what it means to actually be creative and to be, you know, vulnerable and sharing art. Um, So I, I would love to know, like, what do you think about inspiration? What do you think is the recipe for people to get inspired and creative if there is one? I think that's a great question. I think it is a great segue, you know, just like you said, the beautiful things you're doing with Roman Go Lightly. I think that, you know, similar to what we had kind of just discussed before, this idea that inspiration and creativity is everywhere to be found. So if listeners haven't already uh, read or watched the TED Talks and other talks of Brene Brown and Liz Gilbert, they give some really beautiful examples of the power of things like getting vulnerable. You know, getting vulnerable is the key to all things from joy to creativity. And this idea of treating, you know, inspiration like a dance and a muse. And, and Liz Gilbert talks a lot about this idea of creativity. Um, but that, like you said, you know, fear is never going to go away. 
And that's okay. That's part of being human. It's kind of being in that place where all of these things are happening simultaneously. And I think inspiration and creativity are to be found everywhere we go. I mean, we can have the most glamorous, incredible life ever, but feel completely uninspired. Or you can take a walk around the block and see an incredible interaction between two neighbors and it changes your life forever. I think it's all about what you bring and what you're willing to be open to, what, what you're willing to see, because it's there and there's so much beauty in the ordinary. In fact, that's really where it's found. It goes back to this idea of, you know, how you spend your days is how you spend your lives. I think that especially with social media in the modern age, you know, we're trained to think about like the five big moments that happen in our life, you know, a big promotion or a marriage or a graduation. But the truth is, is our life is lived in a, you know, a million tiny little moments. That's what our life really is. And so I think that, you know, that's where the beauty and the inspiration is found. I think that was, you know, Johnny Cash, I think that said something like when someone said, what's your favorite moments in your life? And he said, having coffee with my wife right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> and this is someone that's done a lot of incredible things, you know, perfect music to speak to your own, uh, your, you know, your own work as well, Laura. So I think that that's what I would say. It's what you bring to it. It's, it's to be found everywhere as long as we're looking. And I think that, you know, I so often, if I'm willing to pay attention to those little moments, that's where I find these like truly profound lessons in life. Absolutely. So I love that. And I think it is there, there is an aspect of like untraining our minds to think that creativity is those perfect little Instagram squares that we see, you know, and you know, it, whenever I look at Instagrams, I have to remind myself like, this is everyone's highlight reel. Like we're, we're sharing the pretty things that, you know, and I love that the idea of these like five great moments in life that we're supposed to be waiting for that are supposed to be changing our lives in such a monumental way that will never be the same again. But um, I love the idea of like untraining our th our thoughts on creativity to think we're not waiting for those moments where if you think about between now and five minutes, what are the beautiful things that you're surrounded by and noticing the ordinary and noticing the beauty in the ordinary, like you said, I think that's part of what it takes to sort of untwist this concept of like, oh, well, that's where inspiration is. It's this beautiful picture that someone lives in this perfect place. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sort of, I'm beating around the bush here. But basically, um, <laughs> I think that what you said is incredibly true. And I think there, do you, do you think that there is a sort of this untraining of this idea of quote unquote creativity? Well, it's interesting. So I teach creativity and I obviously think a lot about it and I, equated to other things I teach like mindfulness and being present and being the moment. And yes, I think that, you know, what you're saying is this idea of, you know, what should be and expectations about what is creative and what isn't. And I a hundred percent agree that just like compassion. So this is, you know, neuroplasticity. This is like basically behavioral science 101, which is that you actually aren't, you know, creative or not. I mean, we've all heard people say, or we've even said ourselves, like, I'm not a creative, you know? And that's actually, like you said, it's not true. These are learned skills, being compassionate, uh, being creative. These are things that we can learn to do. And as someone who's also, for example, um, an international attorney, you know, you often see this siloing or this dichotomy between, you know, certain fields that do this or certain people. And that's actually not the case. And, you know, I believe, and I'm not alone in thinking that the future is more about this idea of what Dan Pink would call the conceptual age. So the thing is, is that information, people that held the information before used to help hold the power, right? Politicians, doctors, lawyers. Now what's happened to information, it's everywhere. <laughs> so it's really all about how we get creative and how we curate and create 
create this patchwork quilt to bring information together in new ways. And I think, and that's why I bring, for example, design principles into my human rights world. And that's why when I consult on social good, it's design is critical. That's why Steve Jobs kind of changed this whole mantra and um, lifestyle behind engineering, because he knew that we weren't building products for other engineers, we we're building products for people. So design and creativity, inspiration, it's actually everywhere, and it's as important as being critical, like economically, for the future of work, but also just for being creative in our lives. There's always a way to find a solution and get creative, whether you're solving the world's toughest problems or you're figuring out like your next recipe for your next meal. So I like how you said it's like untraining. I think in general, it's untraining everything that we think should be a certain way, whether that's a woman should act this way or a creative person does this, you know, kind of moving away from should and moving more towards, you know, what, what, what am I good at? What do I love to do? And what does the world need? And I think that's, you know, a good way of saying untraining towards that kind of belief because that's a very limiting belief. I think, you know, that we should do this or creativity is this one thing. Right. And not to get too woo woo, but it's, it's basically like not, we're going away from the should and we're walking towards the what is and, you know, what is present, what is – I, I want to go on to this mindfulness thing. So um, I know that you speak a lot about mindfulness and creativity. So if someone is feeling, like, stuck or uninspired in whether that's their surroundings or if they have an art form or whatever it is, so what piece of advice would you send their way? Yeah, I think that that's a tricky question because, of course – to be human is to have had all of those range of feelings, right? And Absolutely. Have, you know, and again, you can be in the most incredible place in the world and be un, feel uninspired. Or, you know, you can have your head down in a book in a quiet room and just feel like you've just explored the world. So I think that everyone has felt that. And I think it goes back to this idea that inspiration is to be found everywhere. And I think that what's also important in that equation is that we talk a lot about, you know, this new millennial idea of following your passion and following your bliss. And I'll just say right out, you know, I believe in that strongly. I think that what Joseph Campbell, who, who originally said, follow your bliss, you know, he is someone that has an incredible, very inspiring work in the world. And I, you know, I design a lot of what I'm thinking about around that, but it's really important to remember that when he said it, I think that that word has been co-opted. So follow your passion, follow your bliss, your inspiration. It doesn't mean like eat chocolate cake and have fun. And if something feels a little boring, like peace out. You know, right. or if it's not, you know, if it's a little tedious, no, because I'm not following my passion. That's actually not what it means. For the most part, the truth is that passion, creativity, inspiration, it actually requires a lot of hard work. When I talk to people who have been successful, when I teach how to define success for yourself, everyone has a different story. The only thing almost everyone has in common in that space is really, really hard, difficult work. So what I want to say about that is, you know, it's kind of like the quote that inspiration is there. It needs to find you working. You know, and it's 99% perspiration. So it's not like, and I think Liz Gilbert has a really funny story, Brene Brown, too, about, you know, it doesn't just knock on your door and say, hey, I'm here. You have to dance with it. You have to find it. Sometimes it involves really tedious work. Sometimes it involves staying in a nine to five so you can pay the bills. So on the weekends, you can do what you love. Because sometimes, as we discussed, when you make the thing you love the thing that needs to pay the bills, it drains itself of inspiration. Mm -hmm. So for me, hard work and a work ethic and diligence is a big part of that equation. It doesn't just float in. You got to grab it. It's like, I think Maya Angelou said, you got to, you know, grab life by the lapel and say, let's go. <laughs> so that's, you know, my take on inspiration and creativity and following your passion. It takes uh, work. 
Can you just like come around with me like all the time and just give me pep talks? <laughs> sure. Well, technology, you know, our podcast is going to allow that. So. That is true. And I do love technology for that. But if I could just like turn to you at any opportunity and be like, so Flynn, what would you say to me in this moment? That would be incredible. <laughs> I guess that comes with all your TED Talks and all of these amazing speaking opportunities that you had, right? Um, well, I do. You know, I think that, as I said before, I love to have conversations with people and to have that kind of collaborative experience where we don't know what we're going to necessarily end up speaking about, you know, moving away from any transactional, the talk needs to be this, the conversation needs to be this, I need to get this out of it. And I think when we let go of that, we open things up for so much more adventure and so much more fun. And so for me, I love to do all of that, but I always learn so much more, you know? So when you're talking about, you know, oh, well, I want to carry your voice around. I've learned so much and had so much fun in this conversation. So I think it's always kind of a two-way street. That's that's very true. I think a lot of times like an actual conversation can sometimes be way more of a intellectual like light bulb moment, at least for myself. That might not be all the time, but um, having a really, really great conversation such as this and such as those that I've had with the podcast guests for season two, it's just it's part of I mean, I think. I, I don't know if you're this way, um, considering how much you have studied formally and informally in life, um, but I just think that it's fun to be just a student of the world, like just being an open-minded student. If, if you're willing to study whatever is coming your way and just going with it, there's so much to be learned. And that's like the best thing about life, I think, just being able to take in all of this information and hopefully do some good with it. It's so true. That's so beautifully said. I was consulting with someone yesterday and she ended up saying, well, you know, how did you learn how to do this? And it was, you know, we had a whole conversation about that and apprenticing and, you know, being such a voracious book reader and having kind of studied all of these different things. But eventually I said, you know, it's, it's this excitement and passion about learning new things every day and always being open to, okay, well, I can try, you know, let me figure out how to do that. Or what book can I read? Or what, you know, what person can I be inspired by? And just constantly being willing to learn and being excited about that process. I mean, I live for this idea of learning something new. And instead of saying, well, I don't know how to do that, saying, well, there's someone out there that can teach me, or there's some book that can help me, you know, or some online course. I love what you said about, for me, teaching too. I mean, I love to teach. It's one of my passions. And it is, it, it's a dance of teaching, but also constantly being a student the whole time, always being willing to learn. And as much as, you know, I teach people, I feel like I learn so much from what people have to say back in that conversation. So I couldn't agree more. Exactly. They say that um, the best way to become a student is to teach. <laughs> uh, right. And you too as a teacher yeah I think it is such a kind of a dance and a collaboration and to always be learning yeah I think that is true beautiful so you've brought up books a lot I'm curious we're going off topic but I want to know like if we could get like five of your best books off of your bookshelf what what would you what would you oh lend us oh my gosh um so fun I'm constantly I know I need to come out with my book recommendation list which I keep promising people um <laughs> I it would be impossible I am books are my friends they are the you know things I carry with me no matter where I go in the world I have loved books since I was little and um, my one of my best friends and I we have a book club together and we're constantly reading new books and going back and forth over food or wine or a hike so books for me are my friends they're such an important part of my life um oh gosh where could I even begin um, we mentioned Harry Potter of, of course, course. Um, so that has to be on, you know, any type of list and Game of Thrones. I actually have read twice in addition, um, to the great HBO series. Um, I just finished 
a great book called All the Light We Cannot See, which is a beautiful, um, it's fiction, but it's a beautiful take on World War II. Um, and it's partially set in France, and I'm a huge Francophile, so that's an incredible book. Um, Behind the Beautiful Forevers, set in the slums of India, is extraordinary. Uh, 2666 by the Chilean writer Bolano. It's kind of like a Chilean version of Ulysses, uh, which is incredible, and I highly recommend. And as I had mentioned, the work of Brene Brown, Dan Pink, um, Seth Godin, Amanda Palmer, and Liz Gilbert has been really kind of instrumental um, for me in terms of understanding how we learn. Uh, Daniel Kahneman, too, and his work on behavioral science is awesome. I highly recommend Thinking Fast and Slow. Rebecca Skolnit is incredible. Parker Palmer, I could go on. <laughs> I feel like you need to make a big, long list of recommendations. We will put these in the show notes, but I mean... <laughs> okay, yeah, I know. That is... Um, I, I know I need to do that, and I continually get asked for that, and um, I'm doing it in my head all the time anyway, so yeah, duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So thanks so much, Flynn. So what's what can we keep an eye out for? What are you up to next? What's going on? Well, um, you can stay tuned um, on my website, flynncoleman.community. I've actually just launched a new version of it, so that is like a way to keep up everything from uh, my social feeds to photos to things that I'm doing to exciting new roles and new experiences that I'll be rolling out really soon. You can stay tuned for. So that's really like the hub where we can connect as a community, and um, you know, my plan is to continue to focus on my life's work and to try my best to stay open to, you know, the things, the doors that open along the way. Because I suppose, as Pima Chodron, another really great thinker on this idea of kind of modern interpretations of things like Buddhism and mindfulness, is that essentially what she says is there is no point where things come together. Things fall apart. They come together. It's kind of like that ebb in the flow and constantly being thrown out of the nest. So I guess, you know, always striving to be comfortable as much as I can with that because we never know what's next and what's around the corner. And I guess that's that's what makes life really exciting. Beautiful. I am so excited for everything that's going to be coming your way because I'm sure it will be. So I, I thank you so much for this time. And I feel so invigorated right now. I hope all our listeners do too. But thank you so much, Flynn. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. I feel so invigorated too. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such fun. Oh, guys, I just love my job, specifically for talking to women and so many amazing, inspiring people in the world like Flynn. Thank you again, Flynn. You rock. I I have no words. Just thank you so much. All right, guys, thanks for joining us again. Make sure to subscribe, comment, and review. We're passionate about getting you inspired, and we hope that you're just as passionate for our goals. So show your support if you're feeling so kind. Um, on iTunes, or make sure that you subscribe to what we're doing at our blog at www.romangolightly.com. Some of you guys have really been um, loving what we're sharing. Our new series, Living Worldly, has unveiled, and we're going to be sharing some new content this week. Um, Basically, some tips and ideas for finding the wide world in your own neck of the woods, which is really inspiring. It's basically one of the strong core missions that we have here, so really excited about that. It seems like you guys are too. You can also follow us on Instagram at at RomanGoLightly or on Twitter at Rome underscore GoLightly. And our show notes are also available on our website. All right, guys. So I will see you next Monday. <laughs>